You're listening to El Clásico, the cycling podcast at the 2023 Vuelta España from Barcelona to Madrid. Today we're on the Alto del Angliru. Larry, you look a bit fresher than you did 10 minutes ago. Very fresh. And like you've had a cracking day out. How was it? Oh my God. I don't think I'm ever going to recover from that. It was hard. Uh, I mean, you managed to get in the break. Yeah. So every, yeah, for a minute. every cloud. <laughs> I can't see many silver li- linings on this cloud, but there must be one there. Yeah, probably got a couple good photos, but that's about it. <laughs> it's always nice to try to get in the break on a day like today, you know, like a mythical <clears throat> climb like Angleroo, but Jumbo just, uh, yeah. They don't want to share this wealth, so it doesn't leave a whole lot of space for the rest of us at the moment. You are indeed listening to El Clásico. My name is Daniel Freeber. I'm the host of this episode and I am on, or was a minute ago anyway, or about half an hour ago, the Alto de Langliru, where despite the best efforts of our Motown maestro Larry Warbass of AG2 Art Citroën, you heard from a minute ago and did make it into the break today... And despite the supersonic ascent of two certain riders in yellow and black, who we'll hear about in just a second, Jose Rodriguez's record ascent of the Angliru remains intact. That is the record for the fastest time up the Asturian monster climb on a bike while balancing a full tray of drinks in his left hand. (laughs) Rodriguez... A waiter from Toledo set the 1 hour 45 minute mark in May 2008 at the age of 45, having discovered his passion for riding up vertiginously steep climbs while simultaneously practicing his waiting skills a couple of years earlier. So no record for the stage winner on that score, at least today, Lionel Burney, who's joining me once again in the cockpit. But what a day we saw. If we thought yesterday was controversial, Lionel, and who gave us a lot to chew on, then today was even more meaty. Would you agree? Yes, I would agree. Yes, I'm sat here beside the cycling podcast hot take machine. It's it's completely overheated. It's just it's just smoking away now. And if you hear a sort of beeping noise, that's uh, this vehicle is reversing uh, sound effect because uh, I'm 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 going to pretty much contradict absolutely everything that I said in last night's podcast because uh, well I, I I found it really quite tough to watch this afternoon and uh, been trying to get my head around it and uh, well I'm really interested to hear uh, what your particular opinion is on how the race actually played out today. There was no beeping noise to signify that Primoz Roglic or Jonas Vingegaard were reversing or indeed slamming on the brakes. Um, won't no. Say, I won't say any more to, mm. in case anyone doesn't know the result yet. Um, and in fact, Lionel, I would propose, I would propose before we hear the tale of the Etapa and we hear exactly what did happen today, we go back in time, as we sometimes do, to this morning and uh, Riba de Seya, that was where the start was happening this morning on the sort of the eastern Asturian coast, really beautiful part of the world. And we had stayed about 10 15 kilometers just to the east of the start, and um, loads of gorgeous beaches and uh, mountains in the well, inland overlooking. And that coastline it's really quite stunning and it was a strange well a strange atmosphere around the Jumbo Visma bus after everything that had happened yesterday obviously Natan van Hooydonk's car crash in the morning had overshadowed proceedings yesterday morning and well we we got some good news about him in the evening didn't we that he'd regained consciousness and actually sounds as though he's doing pretty well although he's still undergoing tests to ascertain exactly why he did and uh, why, why he was involved in that car crash yesterday whether he passed out whether he suffered some kind of fit or even um, cardiac problems but today obviously the talk was about what had occurred yesterday Jonas Vingegaard taking all that time on Sepp Kuss and drawing to within half a minute of Kuss on general classification had he attacked Kuss um, was it a treacherous move was it not um fortunately for us Lionel someone very well placed to answer what questions we had um from yesterday's stage was present at the Jumbo Visma bus and that was the head honcho 
of Jumbo Visma, um, the man steering the ship really, Richard Plugger, he's not always at every race, every day, but uh, he had arrived in Spain this morning. And well, I and a few other journalists did speak to him at the Jumbo Visma bus about what happened yesterday and generally, well, what he hope is what he hopes is going to happen between now and Madrid. I think everybody was surprised uh, that the competition was not chasing uh, Jonas right away. And uh, yeah, things are happening uh, on the road. Eh? You, again, I said it uh, just now, but it's not PlayStation. It's it's we try something and uh, get relatively stronger uh, to, uh, uh, compared to our opponents. But yeah, they, they started a kind of uh, waiting game and, and they were surplusing for uh, a couple of m minutes, maybe. Um, yeah, and then uh, Finn Fisher Black went on his own while we would have expected that he, uh, that he would uh, lead the chase. And things, things happen. It's, again, it's not PlayStation. It's, it's our way of working. So we discuss everybody with everybody, everything with everybody. And, uh, you know, we want to have uh, everybody behind the plan. It's a plan of us. It's not my plan. It's not Marijn's plan. It's not Grisha's plan or whoever. It's, it's our plan also with the riders. And, yeah, uh, because yeah, we wanna. That's that's the way how we work already for a couple of years. We to, we told that before, I think, and that's uh, also how we approach it here. Richard, it's obviously a massive goal to win the Welter, but is it also a big goal to come out of this Welter with everyone feeling happy about the situation and who's won eventually and the plans that were made? If we are able to win, because uh, again, yeah, there's a couple of days to go, but uh, um, everybody will be happy because that was the goal. The goal is to win with the Jumbo Visma uh, uh, rider this this Vuelta, and uh, so everybody will will be happy because yeah, like yesterday we had a we had a big victory, and after the very very sad news earlier on the day, it was a big relief for everybody that yeah, we could finish the day and with good news from uh, from Belgium, uh, but also with a victory uh, for for one of our riders. Until now, one of the keys of this team's success, it seems like, is you haven't managed to maintain a real harmony. And also, well, I don't think any rider's really gone away to better things because they've been aggrieved here, because they've not had opportunities. I mean, is the key to that the thing that you always say about open communication and just being quite direct sometimes, but speaking about everything? Yeah, 100%. I think uh, that's, that, that is the key of how we work since 2016, uh, more or less. Uh, that, that we want to know ever, from everybody what do they think, what, what is your wish, what is your... And uh, we try to bring that together and, uh, and then everybody gets, uh, gets a chance. And for all three, also here in the Vuelta, the biggest chance for all three to win the, uh, the Vuelta for themselves is to work together. Because yeah, you know, you can play, you can play other uh, or the competition out, let's say, against each other. And yes, that might end up you not winning uh, the World Cup, but it's also your biggest chance to win it. So Lionel, no real surprises there. And uh, what I was getting at with my question was something I referred to yesterday. The, for the continuation of this dynasty that Jumbo Visma are building, it's quite important that these three riders, Sepp Kuss, Primoz Roglic and Jonas Vingegaard, have finished this race on good terms and harmony is maintained, equilibrium is maintained within the group among the three of them. But I think we, we did agree last night, Lionel, that was going to be quite difficult to achieve um, given the, well, the very mm, happy position, um, but also invidious in other ways position that the team found itself in this morning. Should we find out now exactly what did happen on the stage, Lionel? El resumen de la etapa. The tale of the etapa. Okay, well, stage 17, Daniel, as you very well know, went to the Angliru, 124.4 kilometers. Now, normally, as journalists, we would hit with the, the top line. We haven't really uh, revealed the nature of the controversy at the top of the Angliru. We need to recap what happened on the way to it. And, well, it looked like it was going to be Remco Evenepoel's day because he was very aggressive from the start, attacking, getting in a, a, an early break that was caught as we also know Larry Warbass was in one of those early breaks however briefly uh, then it was just down to Evenepoel and his teammate Matea 
Catania, the pseudo-quickstep riders, clearly trying to drive themselves away to give Evenepoel the chance to win the stage on the Angliru. Should we just press pause to hear a little bit more about, well, you mentioned Larry being in that break and also Catania's, ro- Catania's role before we find out what happened in the lead group. Um, let's just hear Larry's sort of fugitive's eye view of that breakaway, shall we? I mean, to be honest, uh, today Catania, I mean... He rode like 10 men. I mean, he was so strong. He was pulling so hard that the rest of us, we could take like three second pulls and then he would take a minute pull. And he was just absolutely smashing us. And then <clears throat> when uh, the group with Remco came up to us, again, he was going so hard that Remco kept having to ask him to slow down. I tried to play a bit tactical and because uh, I, I saw there was a Sudal or whatever, Lotto guy sitting on. And then... Uh, as soon as I lost three meters, I never got back to the wheel. So it was a really hard day. And yeah, unfortunately, it looks like it didn't work out for anyone in the break. So, yeah. Well, Larry confirming there just how hard Catania was driving it. And well, the two of them were away. And on the first of the first category climbs, Mark Soler of UAE Team Emirates broke clear and he was trying to bridge across, I suspect, but he didn't really get much more than 50, 55 seconds away. Couldn't quite get himself across. On the second first category climb, uh, Remco left Catania, uh, missed his handshake as well, his sort of thank you handshake. And then Evenepoel was away at the head of the race until the final climb. Behind Bahrain victorious were chasing very hard. Uh, Soler was caught and then dropped. And then on the climb itself, where Roman Bardet tried to go, Wout Pauls of Bahrain marked him. Remco was caught finally with around five and a half kilometers to go. Uh, we saw the GC riders get dropped, not quite in order of GC placing, but Vlasov was one of the first to go. Then Ayuso was struggling. And, well, before we knew it, it was down to Jumbo Visma and Bahrain Victorious. Um, it got increasingly misty. I wondered how much you could see up there. It seems to always be misty up there. It's got its own ecosystem, hasn't it? Roglic went to the front with around uh, three kilometres to go. Uh, initially, Kuss rode up to the back wheel of Roglic. And then, in the blink of an eye, the three of them were away. Roglic, Kuss and Vingegaard, the three Jumbo Visma riders... But then all the drama happened, just under two kilometres to go. Kuss lost the wheel, and the other two pressed on. Primoz Roglic wanted to win the stage because I guess it was his gift to Sepp Kuss on Sepp Kuss's 29th birthday. I mean, that's one way of spinning it. Maybe the Jumbo Visma PR operation will use that line. Roglic won the stage, his second of this welter and 12th in his welter career. Bit of an empty cardboard box of a gift, isn't it? Well, <laughs> indeed. Jonas Vingegaard then uh, stuck with Roglic all the way to the line. They didn't contest the finish. And then came Sepkus, who, well, he had a smile on his face, out sprinting Mikel Lander on the sort of downhill run to the finish line, finishing 19 seconds behind. When you factor in all of the time bonuses as well, it means that Kuss now leads his teammate Vingegaard by just eight seconds. Roglic is third. He is at 108. And then there's been a bit of a shuffle in the top 10 because Mark Soler has tumbled seven places from sixth to 13th. Mikel Lander, he's moved up a couple. From 7th to 5th, Kian Utdebrooks has also moved up a couple. He's now in 7th. So a little bit of a shuffle. But the big story is uh, what happened in the Jumbo Visma ranks. And we'll probably go into that in great detail. But with it being Sepkus's 29th birthday, I mean, it did look like it invited Jonas and Primoz to his birthday party. And then they proceeded to eat all the cake, burst the bouncy castle, break all the new toys. And then Sepp had to just smile and look happy about it. And then go home with his That's birthday presents, with his, re- with his <laughs> good birthday presents. You know, the, Star Wars, <laughs> the Star Wars figures and the Sabutio set. Um, <laughs> Showing your age there, Daniel. Yeah, yes, um, it, was a strange, it was a strange scene, Lionel. It's always a bit of a strange scene up there. Um, because, well, I've been up there, I think, three times now for stage finishes. I was up there when Alberto Contador famously won on his last 
day on the Vuelta a España um, after an extraordinary Vuelta a España by Contador. He attacked almost every day. And then I was up there. It was a very eerie scene in 2020 when Hugh Carthy, when actually, incidentally, I passed Hugh Carthy when he was emerging from the tent where the riders were getting changed um, after the stage today. I'm not sure where he finished, but he certainly didn't have a good day because he sort of, um, he kind of smiled at me and sardonically said, from the best day of my career to the worst day of my career um, on, mm. on this climb. And then today, the, the crowds were fantastic, as you'd have seen on TV. They surprised me, actually, because obviously it's um, a midweek fixture, not a weekend. Uh, so I didn't think there would be quite as many people um, up there as there were. Also, no Spaniard in contention to win the Vuelta. But when you are waiting for the race to arrive on the Anglieri summit, it's sort of round the corner from the, the rest of the mountain. The road kind of curls around the back of the mountain and there are no crowds um, on that final portion of the climb. So it, the, the race the race arrives, it sort of takes you by, by surprise also because it is downhill that last kilometre. So the leaders get there and it, it sort of always feels like a bit of a Covid Vuelta up there on the Anglia. And then we had Jonas Vingegaard and Primoz Roglic sort of congratulating each other or celebrating in a, I don't want to say a sheepish fashion, but I, I think all of the Jumbo Visma riders are a little bit sheepish about this situation they're elated that they're winning the race but they're very aware as well certainly they have been over the last 24 hours i think of the conversation that's taking place on the outside and on social media and among the journalists at the race and there is a, a sense of them not really knowing how to behave and maybe even not knowing quite how to feel um, about what's playing out and what they think what they suspect will probably play out between now and Madrid but Lionel I suspect we're going to be talking about this in greater detail in just a moment um, but should we hear from the great triumvirate as I described them yesterday um, the three killer bees. Um, Lionel, do you, have you got an order, a batting order that you'd propose? Um, would you like to hear Roglic first, then Kuss? Reverse order of GC, so Roglic, Vingegaard and then Kuss. Okay. We'll start with old Primoz. We are enjoying, huh? They were definitely enjoying today. I, I ate all the cake, huh? Sorry about that, huh? <laughs> You don't go every day up, uh, up Angliru, and uh, yeah, I'm just uh, super happy that uh, I, I managed to win. For me, if I'm honest, uh, yeah, the place I went is just yeah, it's so steep that it's all really uh, guy man on man, and uh, yeah, I just paced myself. Uh, Stan Sebo also came uh, together with Jonas, uh, then it was dropped. Definitely, I have to say, I mean, it's a strange feeling, if I'm honest, uh, that, uh, yeah, I, I still continue to ride. Uh, but, yeah, it's immediately, yes, uh, either you go completely all in or not. But, uh, yeah, for me, it was, uh, was a big wish to, to, to win on Angliru. And, uh, yeah, I'm uh, happy uh, I, I did it. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, you, you're obviously uh, dropping your teammate in Areda. And I spoke to him. I mean, uh, keep believing, keep fighting. Uh, the, the way I, I went or I did, yes, it was uh, now really a guy on guy. And, uh, yeah, uh, what I want to say is my responsibility. Uh, he's the first guy that I want to win this Vuelta. But, yes, my responsibility is also yes to, to do my best if I'm here uh, and yeah then the road uh, will tell us uh, but yeah for the moment is uh, sweet worries uh, who is uh, first second third yeah I mean uh, the, the the win today was uh, our main goal and uh, to yeah to keep the situation uh, one two three in GC so uh, I think uh, everything went by by how we wanted and uh, I think we can be happy with with everything and uh, yeah I'm to be honest, I'm still happy that the Sepp is in the jersey. Yeah, to be honest, I actually hope that he will he yeah. will keep the jersey. I would love to see Sepp winning this uh, World Cup Spaniard. Crazy day, super fast. Um, yeah, it was a day that that I was looking forward to before the both even started. I said I wanted to win on the on the Engliru, <laughs> just like every other every other uh, climber in the race. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's what we what we did today. Uh, the three of us were up there right until the end. Primoz deserved the win. I mean, uh, just just like yesterday with with Jonas attacking, he deserved the win, and also Primoz today he, he deserved the win. And I think that's that's how the the racing should be. And I I think I showed today and and a lot of the other stages that I 
that I deserve to be in this in this position, position that uh, I'll probably never never be in again in my life. I realize that, and and they they realize that too. They really want to see me win. <laughs> I think in a Grand Tour, there's so many situations and, and ways the race can play out. So there's also room for, for everyone else. And that's also the beauty of, of our team. There's, there's room for a lot of the, the great champions that, that are on the team. And uh, yeah, sometimes there's room for the, the little guys like, like me to, <laughs> to have their, their opportunity. <laughs> we, we, we have to talk with, with the three of us and, and see, see where we stand. Um, and I, I say that in a, in a good way, you know, there's, there's no, um, yeah, bad, bad feelings or, or anything between us. We, we, we all realize that, that we have certain, certain desires and, and wishes in this race. And, and I think by now those are all satisfied. And in my opinion, we can go into the next stages in a more uh, defensive way. But uh, yeah, we still have to see what that is. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2023 Vuelta España. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Kendall and Rome. I mean, Primoz and <laughs> Jonas Vingren. I am, of course. I am, of course joking um, but that was the succession theme tune that's been the sort of theme tune for all debate all conversation about well this is it a power struggle we can't really talk about power struggle or can we like it is now um, it really, is now yeah it's it a is power you think struggle. it yeah well well let's sort of summarize some of the, the salient points of those interviews that we heard anyway um Jonas Vingard saying unequivocally Lionel that they want Sepkus to win the Vuelta Espanol well, it's going to be kind of difficult to make him win the Vuelta España now they're going to have to be very careful aren't they well yeah Vingegaard is Vingegaard is a time bonus away from accidentally taking the red jersey isn't he so yes it, 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 there's a sort of glass ceiling in front of them all now uh, and it's going to make the next couple of hilly stages tomorrow and Saturday really tricky for them I think yeah you, you, you've, you've been born you've been proven right you were right 24 hours early <laughs> and Primoz Roglic, uh, he, he sort of trotted out his usual Suidwari's line, but he said much the same thing, that in spite of what we saw today, they do definitely, no, honestly, really uh, want Sepkus to win the Vuelta España. And then Sepkus, I thought, was interesting. I think he, he was he looked relieved tonight, to a, a relieved with a proviso, because we heard him there talking about how he feels or he hopes that every, everyone has got what they wanted. Um, Jonas has got his Sabutio set. Um, Primoz <laughs> has gone home with the Star Wars figures. And that now, finally, they can ride a little bit more defensively and effectively, well, give um, Sepkus a limousine ride to the Vuelta España trophy title which they but could have done lim- this afternoon well they yeah that, that limousine that this afternoon that, that limousine could have been ordered a couple of days ago mm. could it not like i mean i is think that, is, is I that think your I can, contention yeah I, I i give them the benefit of the doubt yesterday because they were racing in very uncertain and probably quite emotional and stressful circumstances not knowing initially you know the seriousness of um, the accident that uh, nathan van hoydonk their teammate had had vingegaard his best friend uh, in the certainly best friend in the team wanted to win the stage i think you know that was kind of all fine and they were entitled to um you know s- divide up the spoils the way they did yesterday today on the angliru with Sepkus in their wheel uh, once the gap opened i mean I, i'm just looking from from social media point of view as well because there's a little bit of kind of management of of uh you know, the optics here. Jumbo Visma's uh, Twitter account said, uh, Sep in his communication, go guys, it's Primoz and Jonas in front now. Now, uh, we then heard from Grisha Nierman on the TV say, that's the sports director, say that they couldn't hear the race radio or see the pictures on the TV when all this was going on. So I'm not quite sure where Jumbo Visma's uh, social media manager has kind of got this info from. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that it's a, a flat-out um, you know, falsehood, but clearly they're very aware of the optics. So the simple thing 
for uh, Roglic and Vingegaard to have done, which is also the kind of convention in stage racing, is that you defend the red jersey, the leader's jersey. And they could have just knocked it back a little bit and given Sepkus the armchair ride to the finish. Roglic could still have won the stage and then there wouldn't be any kind of, um, you know, slightly negative controversy about the way they played it out because effectively they attacked the race leader you just don't do that and then when you kind of look at the the history of what Sepkus has done for that team and for for those riders as well it just it does feel a little bit um uh out of order frankly think back to the angli route in 2020 where uh, Carapaz and Roglic went into the stage tied on time Carapaz was riding for Ineos of course and uh, Roglic was struggling towards the top. Kuss worked his backside off for Roglic that day. Carapaz nicked 10 seconds and took the red jersey, uh, but Roglic won that Vuelta, and Sepkus played a huge role in that victory. And I think that they, all they had to do was a couple of kilometres of towing the line and defending the jersey and defending Sepkus's lead. And um, I think they're fortunate that... Uh, firstly, Lander didn't sprint for the time bonus to make it even closer, you know, if um, if if Kuss hadn't got those um, few seconds on the line. They're fortunate that Kuss didn't blow completely, and I think they'd probably be facing quite a sort of hostile reaction from cycling fans if uh, Kuss had lost the jersey tonight. And now they really have made the remaining days difficult. And that's my kind of, uh, that's my hot take from the hot take machine, which is absolutely in flames beside me here <laughs> well Lionel there's just a I'm just going to press pause for a moment you mentioned uh, well the Jumbo Visma tweet uh, sort of suggesting that Sepkus had told them to go and ride their own race that's also what Sepkus did say mm. in his post-race interview um talking about what was going on in the team car I mean uh, the, I understand what well, the the direct sportifs and we'll hear from one in a minute they were giving time checks but you said they were quite fortunate I think it would be naive to think that the the time checks were coming in a timely enough manner for Vingegaard and Roglic to perfectly calibrate their effort exactly. to ensure to ensure that Kuss did remain in the red jersey because you also mentioned the time bonuses and they they couldn't have known with absolute certainty that Kuss was going to be able to beat Mikael Lander. So they were fortunate because um, if they do have a dilemma tonight, then they would have an even thornier, even more difficult dilemma if tonight Jonas Vingegaard was in the red jersey and taking the red jersey by one second. Um, but I, I said we were going to hear from one of the direct sportifs uh, about exactly what was going on on in the car we'll hear now from mark rafe who i spoke to just beyond the finish line up on the angliro this afternoon to sepkus fans who might be concerned that they saw a sign of him weakening slightly today being a little bit tired um can you reassure them he's only got an eight second advantage now um yeah i think that also jonah said it already in the press that he would like to uh, that sepa is going to win this race um tomorrow is still a really hard stage to come it will also depend on the on the legs of Sepp, but if Jonas already says something like this, that also means that uh, that he uh, might help uh, help him in a in a certain situation. So yeah, that's something what uh, what we will see. Hard day in the car. Is it hard to think about? You probably have to think about other people's reactions as well to what's going on on the road and what social media might say and what other people might say. Yeah, but that is something what we yeah we cannot do something about that. What we did is that we worked really hard for this race to be in, in top condition. We did everything what we could. Also here in the race, we are focusing on the right things. Yeah, and if you have then the three strongest guys in the race, yeah, then it can turn out on such a honest climb. And and when everybody is together in the in the in the bottom, uh, that you have a result like this. And of course, it's strange. Uh, it doesn't happen too often in uh, in cycling. But yeah, that it happens is also very special. So Lionel. In what is a, a fascinating mini sort of soap opera, which is playing out, which has been playing out over the last 48 hours, I think one thing that is definitely being communicated, despite or any denials about this that might come from the team, and in fact, there was no real denial there from Mark Reef, um, this is a difficult situation. It's a complicated situation that the team have found themselves in due to their superiority, mm. plain and simple. And it, and it is, there's a yawning chasm between them 
and the rest of the field, uh, which um, is an aggravating circumstance in some respects. That, That, you would think, would make it even easier for them to choreograph this in the way that they want to, i.e., well, according to what they've, they've told us today, um, Sepkus winning the Vuelta, because Juan Ayuso is, is a distant fourth now, a very distant fourth, and behind him you've got Mikel Landa, and even further back you've got Enric Mas, and that's actually, it's quite a close battle now for fourth place, but that fourth place is taking that battle for fourth place is playing out in a completely different solar system to the race that Jumbo Visma are riding and one feels as though they can do exactly what they want with this race and they can decide who wins it and today um, they've sort of decided to keep it a little bit open contrary to some of their declarations after the finish. Well I mean just to kind of uh uh, put the other side of the argument uh, there is also the the fact that Grand Tour champions are hardwired to press home their advantage when they have the opportunity and we've criticised Roglic in the past for either racing not doing enough when on top, do you remember the lockdown Tour de France, you know when he kind of put the handbrake on mm. a little bit and, and yep. then was found out uh, by Pogacar right at the end, you know, so in a, it, yes, I, I, there is a um, you know there is a counterpoint to this that they are uh, elite athletes and I mean even Roglic has said it hasn't he? He's riding his own race at his own pace. He's happy to keep on racing, you know brackets, but would like Sepkus to win. And and I suppose also on a climb like the Angliru, you know it is quite hard not to ride at a natural rhythm. I think. Um, you yeah, know, and he did. He did mention that in his interview. Yeah, yeah there we. Yeah, and and so, you know, there are some um, some caveats. I suppose it's the um, it's the fact that they do have it amongst themselves to decide, and it's just the the outside perception that probably uh, Sepkus deserved a little bit better today because there, there was nothing for them to. Lo- they could not have lost today. That all they needed to do was slow down a little bit because Kuss did recover. Uh, they weren't going to get caught by anybody else. You know, as you say, they're in a different uh, solar system to the rest. And the thing that's worked against them is that uh, there hasn't been a big attack from somebody else, whether it be Ayuso or Mass or, uh, or even Lander, although he, you know, gained today, so was coming would have been coming from quite a long way back. But there hasn't been an attack for either Vingegaard or Roglic to kind of mark and defend the jersey in that conventional way and say, well, I'm doing my teamwork job here, go and sit on somebody else's wheel and accidentally gain 30 seconds or whatever. That's not the way that Vingegaard has gained that time, is it? Um, you know, he, today he was marking his own teammate when really they both should have had a look over their shoulder regardless of what Sepkus said really you know I just think it's Mm. kind of just basic and not ride through the finish line as though they were both I don't know eight seconds behind a a another rider Mm. on a a another team Um, you know Roglic well it's it's customary for him now to not to raise his arms when he wins a stage and well he's got to stop his cycle computer hasn't he he doesn't want to well yeah he's always turned it into a meme hasn't he (laughs) yeah but that but but you know the visuals of that today didn't look particularly flattering I suppose either it did look as though he was trying to make up every second and that he possibly could and you know talking about visuals Sepkus said yesterday he doesn't want this to be a gift he doesn't want to win the Mm -hmm. Welton and be for it to be seen as though it is a sort of charity donation for all his years of hard service and loyal service unfortunately if Jonas Vingegaard gets this close i.e. eight seconds um, and then tomorrow does the team does sort of start very demonstratively you know almost slowing down for Sepkus then it will look a little bit more like a gift than it would have done if Vingegaard was a minute behind um, which is a, a little bit unfortunate. I mean, Lina, I suppose one thing we could say tonight is that Roglic has got his very prestigious mountain stage win on the Angliru. That's his second stage win of this Vuelta. Vingegaard's got two stage wins. Um, again, along the lines of what Sepkus was saying, in terms of guaranteeing, in terms of assuring that everyone goes home relatively happy, then 
today was uh, was useful in that regard? Mm, yeah, I guess. I mean, because Roglic is going to finish third, um, and yeah. ordinarily you would say that Roglic would be disappointed with third in a Vuelta a España, but he has at least taken two stage wins, a uh, prestigious one today, and he also will have the feather in his cap in spite of you know some of what we've said today of having contributed to a domestique winning uh, a rider who is ordinarily a super domestique winning the Vuelta a España in, in spectacular fashion and this is going to be you know this is going to be the, the 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 biggest trophy on the Jumbo Visma mantelpiece to date it's the one that you know they're going to be able to spin um, most sort of uh, appealingly in, in a PR sense isn't it you know Sepkus winning the third Grand Tour of the Year. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, really. Now, I was sort of reflecting on what you were saying yesterday about the the harmony being almost the most important thing. Now that they more or less have got it wrapped up, I mean, they have got it wrapped up. They, they Jumbo Visma are going to win the Vuelta one way or the other. Um, and that, that I kind of dismissed a little bit your your argument about the harmony being important, but actually, just seeing it and reading all of the uh, uh, the reaction and, and listening to the post-stage interviews and and just the the conflict in what they're all saying really you know even even just to Roglic talking about keeping on racing and I do think that there is a a valid point in not making it look like it's just a you know something that they're you know chucking Sepkus's way but but they you know they they wouldn't have been uh, if if they just let him kind of sit on the wheel and they paste the red jersey to the line to get him across the line in the best possible time that they could which is what teammates of a race leader should do but I should also say as, as exercised as I'm getting about it it's fantastically entertaining to watch I mean it's mm. it really is a succession style psychodrama playing out on the road and we've got uh, well we've got two more hilly stages of that to come and who knows what else and uh, but only in cycling could a team you know be on the verge of a clean sweep of the podium and still managed to kind of foul it up a bit. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Interesting thinking about the egos and sort of the the status anxiety that any of these riders might have, these three Jumbo Visma riders might have, and the idea that Sepkus in future, even if he doesn't win this Vuelta España, his status will change and he will become more ambitious and he'll want to lead in Grand Tours next year. It was interesting to hear him at the finish, and I don't know if this is just him being too self-effacing, but saying he doesn't think he will be in this position again. He doesn't think they will, he will have this opportunity again. And that might be slightly reassuring for uh, the decision makers at Jumbo Visma. Mm, and very self-effacing because he said he wants his shot, but he's prepared to work for others when required. And I, I think the other two have taken advantage of that a little bit, really. Um, that's what it looked like. Uh, you know out on the road there and and like i say the image of the race so far is of sepkus kind of just drifting off the back and the other two not so much as looking back and um i just don't think that's that's not the sort of image of you know sort of seamless teamwork that jumbo visma you know that they have been an incredible team throughout all three grand tours um but it's you know then the optics of it today are probably not what they would would have uh, would have imagined if before the race had started they'd been told well you'll be going into the final handful of stages with all three places on the podium pretty much wrapped up uh, they would have imagined it would be uh, far simpler than this but like i say that's that's how complex bike racing can be and that's how difficult managing uh, elite athletes and their ambitions and their egos can be i mean roglic looked today like he wanted to win the welter and he's mm. actually thinking of ways to try and gain a minute and nine seconds over the remaining days that's how it seemed to me anyway put it to you that they were fortunate as well today Jumbo Visma in that Bahrain victorious really took on the race took all responsibility behind well certainly behind Remco Evenepoel's um, breakaway group and then on the final climb up the Angliro and that meant that the 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 great triumvirate the Jumbo Visma the three they weren't really exposed or they weren't really forced to make a decision until about three or four kilometers um, from the summit and that's 
well that's been in contrast to other stages other mountain stages when you know imagine Sepkus and Primoz Roglic and Jonas Vingard had found themselves well, alone and with no one else who was particularly no other team that was particularly inclined to take up the pace with seven or eight kilometers to go then we might have seen fractures or interesting little permutations play out even sooner um, we might be having a different conversation tonight. But just on Bahrain, it was an impressive, very impressive display by them and their climbers today from Caruso, from Buitrago, from uh, Landa, who sort of finished off the job, and from Wout Pools as well. And I spoke to Wout Pools just after he'd crossed the line up on the Angliru tonight. Here he is. I actually had a really good feeling today. Only no podium. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, it was really good again. And I mean, it's always nice if you if you have the legs like this and, and play the game. So that was really nice. And well, you can have a plan, but you also need the legs as well. The team did have the legs today. Just tell us what was the plan this morning? Uh, this morning, we also wanted to make the race hard if, if, uh, on the second last climb. Also to start a downhill in the first position because it was a really tricky one. It was half wet. Yeah, I think uh, TBT went really well and then he did the first part of the climb followed by uh, Damiano and then I did a little bit so uh, yeah, it was a good day. Lionel, Landismo is alive. Indeed. Um, based on what we saw today. Fifth place now and I mentioned that, that all Spanish battle for fourth place. Um, it's hard to get excited about a battle for fourth place but... Um, it, it's going to be an interesting one, also because Emric Mass, Emric Mass has some choice words about his Movistar team at the finish yesterday. He said that you know they were lacking firepower on the climbs. He said they were um, they were perfectly good on the flat, but not good enough on the climbs. And well, the Movistar riders didn't come into the mix zone this morning. And there were a few of my colleagues in the press room who were suggesting this might have had something to do with a bit of a fallout in the Movistar camp last night um, as a result of what Mass had said. Also, we heard yesterday Juan Ayuso after the stage yesterday say that he was going to have words, have a conversation with his team after the, the sort of pickle that they got themselves into with Finn Fisher Black chasing Jonas Vingegaard. So a few interesting subplots playing out there, very much um, yeah. very much overshadowed by Jumbo Visma. Yeah, it's a bit like watching football at Hackney Marshes. There's something interesting going on on a football pitch about three or four away. Uh, that's a bit of a oh, niche, okay. a bit of a niche reference <laughs> for uh, non-British and non-football fan listeners. But yeah, the race for fourth place it is the, also the race for best Spaniard, isn't it? Between Ayuso, Landa, and Mass, and they're only split by thirty seconds, so there could be another uh, reshuffle there over the remaining days. Um, but they've, they've kind of been pretty disappointing, haven't they? I mean, uh, you talk about the, the strength of Bayern victorious, and they undoubtedly were. But they also played into Jumbo Visma's hands, really, because it deterred anyone else from going up the road. And uh, that might, in turn, as I said, have simplified the tactics for Jumbo Visma. They could have just conventionally defended the jersey by marking a dangerous-looking move. And they didn't have that opportunity and then ended up in the pickle that we've, we've, we've been talking about. Well, Lionel, here we are. What day is it? Wednesday? Thursday? Stay 17? Wednesday. Uh, not long to go. Wednesday, not long to go now before Madrid. There are going to be some, I, I would still suggest there are going to be some twists and turns. But we sit here tonight, Lionel, with Sepkus still in the red jersey. Interesting, um, our friend Kian uh, Utebrooks this morning in the mix zone said that he thought Vingegaard was going to take yellow tonight. Um, well, Vingegaard took neither yellow. Well, he did actually take yellow. He'll be still wearing a normal regulation Jumbo Visma jersey tomorrow. Um, I think and Oterbrooks meant that he thought Vingegaard was going to take red. Um, but he did not. Sepkus is still in the red jersey. Last night I introduced the first episode in a whimsical, very whimsical, self-defined, self-created uh, mini-series based on a crackpot theory that I have about doing three Grand Tours in a season and how this could be the future of Grand Tour racing for those aspiring to win Grand Tours because there is nothing like the preparation that you get by actually riding a Grand Tour if you want to win a Grand Tour. Um, last night we heard from the Ineos Grenadiers coach Xabi Arteche about precisely this crazy theory that I have and I promised that as long as Sepkus was in the red jersey we'd hear from someone every day um, with their view on uh, 
on my idea. Uh, today is the turn of, I mentioned him last night, it's another coach, another team coach. Tonight it's the Sudal Quickstep coach. Um, he's from Greece. His name is Vasilis Antostopoulos. No, I don't agree. <laughs> I don't agree for just only for one reason. Uh, physiologically, as we saw this year with Kurs, I think it will be possible. But uh, don't forget that Sepp Kurs was just a domestic of the Giro. He was a domestic at the Tour de France. There was no pressure. There was not any other obligations. He didn't have to, to go to the ceremony every day, to the Dobbin Godrol every day, which means delay in his recovery. And also, the most important thing is that he didn't have the psychological press and the mental press from people around him, from the team. From, he didn't have any expectations. To me, that's the most important thing which plays a role, a huge role on uh, somebody's performance for a week, for a race like this, for a three-week stage race. For example, we have seen the ultra marathon uh, on running, or the uh, now the athletes uh, they do several marathons the, in the year, which is something unthinkable some years ago. Of course, we don't have the the same demands as the runners have. You know, the uh, hitting the ground every day, every, in every uh, stroke and uh, everything. But uh, as I said before, the mental pressure and the, men the mental status is the one that defines if somebody can be successful in three Grand Tours or not. We have seen that you can do, you can do two Grand Tours, either Giro or Vuelta or uh, Tour de France and Vuelta. Usually we see that the riders who don't succeed at the Tour de France, they have a second chance at the Vuelta and they usually succeed over there. But uh, uh, doing three Grand Tours in a row, I don't think that it's something that we're going to see in the future. But the, the periods between the Grand Tours now, riders are often going to training camps, they're often well away from their families, they're often racing one-day races. That's stressful as well. So what if, you know, like Sepp Kurs, what if a rider just goes home between the Grand Tours and is getting that mental rest and recuperation? Could that be a, an, a value added? For sure, definitely it's going to be. So just... We have to expect to see what uh, what can happen, but I still believe that the pressure is too much. It, you can't compare the pressure of one day race to a three day Grand Tour, and especially for the big favorites. We have seen uh, riders fade, and I think the most uh, rec recent uh, example was uh, Remco's bad day uh, three days ago, and uh, we still cannot explain how, how and why this happened. Remco was in super good shape. He showed also next day after his uh, bad performance, he was just <laughs> the Remco that we all know. He was just flying. So I think I I truly believe, and I I until I see someone achieving it, I will still believe that uh, uh, the uh, psychological stress that all those big big athletes have it's it's enormous. It's something that uh, normal people, common people, can never uh, understand. And it's really difficult to handle with. Mm -hmm. So that's why I wish, I hope, that in the future we'll see someone winning three Grand Tours. But in my opinion, and I hope I'm, I'm wrong on that, mm -hmm. I don't see that it's happening soon. Last thing, Vazi, the fact that he's done two Grand Tours this year at a high level, does that give him, though, something physiologically that the other riders here don't have? Yeah. Is he doing so well because he's done the, those other two Grand Tours, not in spite of the fact that he's done those other two Grand Tours? Let's wait to see what will happen this week. Because if we're in the third week, we don't know if he will continue performing such a high level. I think we saw already yesterday some signs of, uh, you know, of, of losing a bit of power, of not being as stronger, as fresh as we could expect him to be. So I will just wait to see what, what comes this week and then we can have some uh, final conclusions. So Lionel, um, my theory, my theory is whether well, it's they're being shot down like clay pigeons um, <laughs> by the great by the great and good of physiology and world tour cycling, grand tour racing. But um, if Sepp Kuss stays in red for another, I don't know, three or four weeks, I might actually find someone to to subscribe um, to my hypothesis about grand tour racing. Um, anyway, Lionel, Sepp Kuss may well come under threat again tomorrow we've got another mountain stage we're in Asturias still so it's time for la etapa de mañana la cena de ayer tomorrow's stage 
yesterday's food. What have we got tomorrow? Well, you're right, Daniel. It's another mountain stage. Stage 18, 178 and a bit kilometers to La Cruz de Linares. And it goes over a very difficult first category climb, the Puerto de San Lorenzo, roughly, well, just before the halfway mark in the stage. Before that, in fact, there's a second category climb. And then there's this finishing circuit. I quite like these welter finishing circuits where you get a look at the climb first and uh, then it finishes uh, on or after it. Uh, this time they go over uh, La Cruz de Linares with around about, uh, what is that, 30 kilometers still remaining and then they will finish on top of it. And uh, it will be very interesting to see whether there's a sprint finish for time bonuses. Sepkus, of course, eight seconds clear of his teammate Vingegaard. And, well, as things stand, this will be the joint second closest Grand Tour in history. The smallest winning margin in a Grand Tour, six seconds. Eric Caritou beat Alberto Fernandez in the 1984 Vuelta. And, of course, the eight-second Tour de France is legendary, isn't it? 1989, when Greg LeMond beat... Laurent Fignon in that final day time trial um, but yeah eight seconds splits the two I mean I don't I just don't know how to call it I mean maybe they will let a break go and then at least there isn't sort of the possibility of an accidental um, swapping of the red jersey because somebody's not paid attention and uh, accidentally won a time bonus oh, oops sorry Sepp I think it's taking <laughs> 10 seconds and won the stage oops and that's the jersey as well <laughs> yeah one oh, of them it's terrific isn't uh, it it's terrific yeah <laughs> yeah uh, Lionel I'll be back tomorrow with Rob Hatch who will be in Asturias but he won't be with me he'll be elsewhere in Asturias I believe oh. um, unless we can arrange something we can arrange a way for him to join us at La Cruz de Linares um, in the meantime Lionel it's been a delight a pleasure and you'll be back in the next couple of days not tomorrow but I think you're back on Friday until then it's a good night for me thank you Daniel the Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib and Lionel Burney.